I, I'm going to uh, do something with this sermon today. We're in, in Revelation chapter 12, and uh, when we started the series, it was one chapter per week, and then last week I turned it to more or less, and I'm doing more or less today, because chapter 12, there is a very important thing about to happen in chapter 12 in a um, understanding Thing that we need to do. And so really I'm going to turn it into two messages on purpose, all right? So that we understand what is about to happen so that it's not confusing. This is where most people, when they get into the book of Revelation, this is not only the area that bogs them down greatly, because it goes into a lot of signs. This is a sign, and this is a sign, and this... And, and we don't know what to do with that sometimes. So our imagination goes wild, and we start to look at things all around us thinking, well, is that a sign, and is that a sign, and is that a sign, and, and um, it gets very complicated. And I want to somehow help with that today. So I'm going to use some PowerPoints today, and that's what made his job especially challenging, because now he's also running the PowerPoint through the system so everyone can see that, too. And that's going to be fascinating. I hope it all works. I think it should work. But I'm going to read chapter 12 first. And then you're going to understand why we're taking this route today. Um, Let's just ask the Lord for help, all right? Heavenly Father, your word is wonderful. It's just a a jewel to us. It's It's our meal. It's our life. We come to it, we read, and in that we read of you. We read of our Savior. We read of the things that you have done for us. There is where we are blessed and encouraged and strengthened and guided. There's so much that your word does for us, Lord. You know how we ought to be in this more than we are. And our neglect has hurt us at times, certainly. But here we have the opportunity to study your word in depth for a while. And I thank you, Lord, for it. And I just pray you help us today. There's so much, not only in your word to understand, but so many voices out there telling us one thing or another. And also, we're bombarded with the things of our life right now, the events that happen throughout our world. And all of those come together somehow in a moment, and and we can easily be confused. So I pray that you help us today. Guide us through our text and help us to grasp what you're doing that we might be more appreciative, that we might be more hungry for your word, that uh, we might be made more like Christ. Help us with our time now. May it be used wisely in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, follow with me in Romans chapter 12. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. And on her head, a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven, and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, who was about to give birth, and when she gave birth, he so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, 
who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there would be, she would be nourished for 1,260 days. There was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil, and Satan, who deceived the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when they faced when faced with death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down, having great wrath, knowing that he is only a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she would fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Got it? Woo! What a chapter this is. Okay, Evan, we're going to give this a try and see if this works. You can see it okay? I tried to use big print, all right? So I could see it. And if that helps you out, that's good too. We are in our study. We're talking about the tribulation. It's a seven-year period. Scripture teaches us about that. Seven-year period. And it covers a lot of chapters in the book of Revelation. It starts in chapter 4, and it carries all the way up to chapter 19. And the first part of chapter 19 still issues of the tribulation. But I bring you back to a key thought. That gets our attention. Tribulation always does. The book that we are studying is a revelation about Jesus Christ. How often is it that things of this world distract us from our view of Jesus? That's true because I see it so often in uh, prophecy conferences. Everybody wants to talk about this. The tribulation. What's going to happen? When's it going to happen? Where's it going to happen? What's, what do we have to expect? As a believer, you won't be here. Did I just make that too simple? You won't be here for the tribulation. It's not about you. It's not about you. I'm going to show you that this morning. First of all, it's about Jesus Christ. It's a revelation about Jesus Christ. And that's where chapter 1 started this book. And I emphasize it because I want to keep that in your forefront all the way through. 
this is a revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants the things that soon must take place. Now, if that's all true, let's get this on. I also underscore this. Since it's a letter written to his bondservants, it's speaking of him and their relationship. He loves his church. The first three chapters prove that. We underscored that as we went through it. That has not been lost somehow because we've entered into chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8 and we talk about the tribulation period. Because the end of the book will show you still that was the main point. Talks about the bride of Christ and, and what is in store for us. It's about his love for the church. This book was not written for the world. It was written for the church. This is not a book to tell the world, now straighten up. All right? If, matter of fact, they won't understand it. They don't get it because it's a spiritual thing and they don't have the spiritual, well, they don't have the Holy Spirit to guide them. It's impossible for them to understand and yet they've got a lot of opinions about it. All right? The fact is, this is a book to the church. So if it's to the church, then these chapters need to make sense to us. To help us keep our bearing and understand these two things. It's about Jesus Christ and it's about his love for us. And I want to keep underscoring that as we go through here. Because this is what seems to get our attention. And it's big. Obviously if it covers that many chapters of this book. It is big. And we're just focused on it. I've I've said this once or twice before. even wrote it in the book I wrote about heaven. Is that we're kind of like... Those who drive on the highway and there's an accident scene over on the other side of the road. And what is our tendency to do? I use the word rubberneck. That's right. You know what? When I put that in my book to edit, the editor took it out. Said, no, can't use that word. Glance over, look over, stare at, something like that. I said, I like the word rubberneck because that's exactly what's happening. That's what we're doing. Because we want to see what it is. That's what we do with these chapters. We're trying to figure them all out. Like, how do we fit? How do we? We don't fit. It's about Jesus Christ. And what does it come down to? The church ought to be rejoicing in the understanding of these things because our Savior's name is being vindicated. His name is being glorified. Yes, even in judgment. I talked about that last week. It's a hard topic. But this is what gets our attention so much so that uh, when we talk about future events, we have to put a chart up again and say, now what are we talking about here? The red you just saw is this little bar here. This is the tribulation period. This is the outline of the book of Revelation, as well as a view of the end times from a pre-millennial, that means before the millennium, pre-tribulational, that's before the tribulation, the rapture of the church. All right? We also call this the dispensational view. At least most dispensations hold to it that way. But premillennial, pre-tribulational view. We're in the church age right now. You and I, that's where we are today. We're in the church age. The first three chapters of this book dealt with that. Chapter 4 through 19, we talk about the tribulation period. It does take a big chunk of the book. The millennial period, which follows that, is covered in six verses. Which is remarkable because it's a thousand years long. Millennial thousand years. 
And that's uh, just covered in six verses. And then after that, the last handful of chapters has to do with the eternal reign of Christ and the new heaven and the new earth and the new, the new Jerusalem and all that's given to us in those chapters. When we put it on the timeline, we talk about the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, and then Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of the church. We have been in this block since then. We're waiting for the rapture of the church. It's going to come. I think that's a pretty big topic at times, especially this time. This what we're going through in our world. People are asking all the time, is the coronavirus a sign of the times? And those kind of things. Books are being written about that right now and such. Uh, the church has been told ever since Jesus went up to expect him to come back down. We should always be expecting today to be the day he's going. Whether there are signs or no signs. We don't need signs. As a matter of fact, there are no signs for the rapture. Jesus just said he's coming back. And we should be ready for that. So people say, okay, is this a sign that he's coming? This coronavirus going all over the world, all these other things. Are those our signs? No. Because we do not work through our eschatology according to the newspaper. We do it according to God's word. This is what God said about it. And so if you're reading the newspaper every day or watching the news or whatever and saying, well, is that a sign? Is this a sign? Is that a sign? You're letting the world dictate to you where your hope lies instead of what Scripture says. Are there things going on that's terrible? Yes. Could they be lining us up for the end times? Well, every day we get closer to it. We do. And very likely we are in the end times. I expect the rapture to occur any second now, but I'm not looking for the next event in this world to tell me it's going to happen. I expect Jesus to come any time. That's the rapture of the church. The tribulation comes with a lot of signs. And those we're working through as we go. But after the seven-year tribulation, Jesus is coming to this earth again. We call that the second coming. The rapture is not the second coming. The rapture is, he's coming for the church, and he doesn't come to the earth, he meets us in the clouds, remember? And so we shall always be with the Lord. That's about us. That's where we are out of the picture. This is what's happening on earth, the tribulation. It has nothing to do with us. And then Jesus Christ comes again, second coming. We come with him. That's, that's where we come back when he comes. And then we... Reign with him for a thousand years on this earth. It's going to be fascinating. Now that's a quick outline for you, just to let you know. We're in this little red spot right now in the book of Revelation where we're studying. We talked about seal judgments in the first uh, chapters of 6, 7, and 8. We talked about the judgments. There were seven sets of those, and they increased in intensity, right? Either say yes or I start over. Okay, good. All right. Then we had trumpet judgments, and we just finished those, because you can see they went up to chapter number 11. And those also increased in intensity. And it's, uh, it's like, how can the world survive after that? It does, and it still is obstinate and refusing to acknowledge the Lord. So, the next set of judgments starts around chapter 16, and that is what we call the bold judgments. And when you read those, you're going to be amazed that anybody lives through it. 
absolutely incredible judgments. Those are close to the end, by the way, of the tribulation period, because the world cannot go far with those things happening. So, we're going to be getting to those pretty soon. But here's our gap. Between chapter 11 and chapter 16 is where you get chapters like 12, 13, 14, and all these And there's a sign in heaven, and there's a sign in heaven, and there's this thing. And that's where it starts to get rather confusing. We already had two witnesses on the earth. Chapter number 11, we talked about them. And uh, when we finished that chapter, I put the arrow just so you know where we are. We're about halfway through, somewhere close to halfway through, because they witnessed for three and a half years, and that's half of seven, isn't it? And you say, well, that was pretty tough stuff. Wait till you see the other side of it. Right? So that's where we are right now, about halfway through in our study. And I want to keep that in front of you as we talk through the next four or five weeks. Because we have to know where we are as to keep our bearing on what we're looking at here. Here's the challenging part of our study. We're going to be using a lot of pictures Pictures are challenging, always challenging, because they're used to illustrate future events, but I make this note, they are still literal events. They are still literal people, even though they are pictures of things like dragons and crowns and other things else that's going to be described to us. Floods coming out of the mouth of a dragon, earth opening up and swallowing things. Yes, we could go with our imagination pretty wild with that, can't we? But they are still literal events and literal people, but using the picture to describe something this world has never seen, and it won't see it until that day. So, we can stand here with John and say, wow, what is that? (laughs) And uh, it's an amazing thing. But here's what we will notice. We will be studying Israel, Satan, The Antichrist, the false prophet, and 144,000 elect. That's in these chapters. The events we're going to see are the persecution of the Jews, the role of the Antichrist, the role of the false prophet, the judgment of those who worship the Antichrist. That's all in these chapters too. Literal people, literal events, but using pictures to describe them. Does that make sense? You say, okay, what do you mean now? All right, we're going to walk through this a little bit and start with this. Why must there be a tribulation? First of all, probably pretty obviously, (laughs) to judge this world of sin. Now, it is not the ultimate judgment because then all those on this world who do not know Christ will stand before the Lord and be judged, right? Yes, I'll give you that one. They will be judged in the end. This is to judge this world. This world is a a wicked place. You probably don't know that. You already know that. But this world is going to be judged of sin. It's also, number two, to judge Israel and to bring them back to the Lord. That's where immediately I differ from a lot of different theological bents in this world. Because there are some who do not believe that Israel has anything to do with anything else in the future, that they've been replaced by the church, or that they're in, some people even go to say that the Israel today is not a true Israel, 
There's a lot of opinions about Israel. But I'm going to talk to you about Israel today and the Lord's desire to bring them back. Number three, to show the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. <laughs> that we should anchor on to all the time. Because this world is going to look like chaos during the tribulation period. But the Lord is still on his throne. And that will not change. And the last thing, I always set this before you. To show the church that our Lord, Jesus Christ, always keeps his promises. If he has promised to judge the world, is he going to keep it? Absolutely. So, these four things. Some of you are writing real fast and things. I'm going to move a little quicker. And I'm sorry about that. But if you want some of these slides later, just let me know. And I can do something about that, I think. This is where we're going to emphasize this morning. To judge Israel and bring them back to the Lord. Chapter 12 will show you, without a doubt, Satan hates Israel. Hates Israel. And will do everything in his power to destroy her. Why? Because God chose her. And just because of that, he's going to try to destroy Israel. Because you destroy Israel and you have erased so much of God's working and promise in his plan. It's all in there. And get rid of Israel and you've destroyed all that. Satan will emphasize it here in chapter number 12. So, watch these things. I'll take you back in time for a minute. In the book of Daniel, chapter 9, there's a beautiful little section of scripture that talks about God's plan for Israel. Israel. Uh, Seventy weeks have been declared for... He's talking to Daniel. Daniel's a Jew, right? He says, your people... That's the Jews. And your holy city. And what's that? Jerusalem. All right. We've got the framework to start with. He says, I've got a plan. Seventy weeks are decreed for your people and your holy city to do this. To finish the transgression. They're pretty good at that. All right. To make an end of sin. To make atonement for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. In other words, God knows that Israel has sinned. God knows that it's going to take an incredible thing to change them. And he's accomplished that through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. He says, and the ultimate plan is to bring them to righteousness. That's his work in their midst. Sometimes it's a pretty rough road, especially for people like Israel. So Daniel 9.24 says there's 70 weeks. Verse 25, so that you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. That's 69 if you add them all together. All right. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in the times of distress. I'm not going to do math with you this morning, but I do know that after studying this for many, many years, people have come to a mathematical solution. Roughly, we're talking about when this moat and plaza and the building again started. That was decreed in 444 B.C. by Artaxerxes. He sent a man named Nehemiah to start building the walls, right? The decree went forth about the time of Artaxerxes to the time of Jesus, and that's what it tells the Messiah. There will be 69 of these 70 weeks fulfilled. How many weeks are left? One. 
One week is left. Next verse. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. What's that mean? Crucified. He will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come, the people, we could identify them pretty easily. Who is it that crucified Jesus? It was the Romans. The Romans, the people of the prince who is to come, will destroy the city. Did they? Yes, in AD 70. The, the Romans came and destroyed Israel. They destroyed the temple. They destroyed the city. They did all that. Notice they came to destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end there will be war. Desolations are determined. Okay? So we got up to a couple of good pieces of information. Still one week missing. One week left. And he... That, that takes us back here. He, the prince, that's the last one really dis- described here. He will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. There it is. We just found it. Who are the many? That's Israel. He's going to make a covenant with them. A peace plan. Has our world ever seen the idea of somebody trying to make a peace plan with Israel? Oh my, attempts all the time, right? He will do it. He will make a plan with them, but in the middle of the week, that's three and a half years in, he will put a stop to the sacrifice and the grain offerings, and on the wings of abomination will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. What he's going to do at the three and a half year period is to desecrate the temple. He will actually sit in there and declare himself to be God. Things will change drastically for Israel at that moment. Because up to that point, they thought they had peace. Suddenly it's all different because he's going to stop what they've done, the sacrifice and grain offerings, and he's going to declare himself their God. Anti-Christ. See it? That's the prince of the people. Week number 70. That is yet to happen. That's the tribulation period. What did Jesus say about this? When you see the abomination of desolation, that's what I just told you about, which is spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is in the house up must not go to get the things that are out of his house. Jesus is saying this in Matthew 24. He says, when you see this, he's talking to the Jews, right? He's telling the Jews. Now, when you see these events, there's something you need to do, and it's simple. Run. Get out of there. Okay? Run. Don't even go back to your house. Watch these words. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his clothes. Woe to those who are... How interesting this is going to be in chapter 12. Because didn't you read about all these kind of words? Pregnant, flying, run, hide, these kind of things. We're going to see it. But those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babes in those days, pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath day. There might be a lot of hindrances, but you've got to get out of there. Verse 21, I skipped a few. For then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days should have been cut short, 
no life would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Three and a half years of absolute terror for the people of Israel. And if it lasted three years and three quarters, they might not make it. That's how close it gets. So this is an incredible prophecy. Now, who said all that? Jesus. Does he know? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. He's not just jumping to wild conclusions. This goes back to Zechariah. That's Zech. Zechariah is the abbreviation Zech. Chapter 12. Look at these words. Behold the burden of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord, who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, who forms the spirit of man within him. In other words, he knows what he's talking about. Behold, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that causes reeling to all the peoples around. And when the siege is against Jerusalem, it will also be against Judah. Uh Uh-oh. That doesn't sound like good news, does it? Jerusalem being surrounded under siege? Sounds like a war. Sounds like they're on on the tough end of that story, isn't it? They're not sieging somebody else. They are being sieged. That means they're in trouble. What happens? We've got to know. Verse 3. It will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will be severely injured, and all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. We have a name for this war. Wild guess? Six-day war. Not the six-day war. Battle of Armageddon. Yes. This is where it's coming. It's right at the very end of the tribulation period. Let me give you the big picture. Jerusalem, three and a half years in. Peace plan is broken. What do they have to do? Run. Protect themselves. They're in trouble. The Antichrist wants to kill them. You're going to read it in these books that we're studying, Revelation. But he wants to kill them. So they go and run and hide, run and hide. But they surround the city of Jerusalem to destroy it. The goal has always been, and you've seen it, you've seen it in the news, let's push Israel into the sea. Let's annihilate Israel. Let's get rid of Israel. And how many wars have been of that nature? Quite a few. Where they've been surrounded and pushed and surrounded and pushed. The Lord has intervened on their behalf. In this case, all the nations of the earth are gathered against it. Jump down a few verses from 3 to 8. In that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The one who is feeble among them in that day will be like David. The house of David will be like God. And the angel of the Lord before them. That sounds like hope, doesn't it? And in that day, verse 9, I will set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Look at verse 10. I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of, what? Grace and supplication, so that they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn. Boy, is that going to be a change of heart. They have not mourned even on the day that they crucified him, and they have not mourned since. As a nation, imagine, as a nation, mourning over the fact that they had killed their Messiah. Only the Spirit of grace, the Holy Spirit, can change your heart. And He will. That day will come. And they will mourn for Him as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over Him like a bitter weeping over the firstborn. You don't see that in them right now. 
Ask them what they think of Jesus. It's not this verse. It's their response. In that day a fountain will be opened for the house of David, for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for impurity. What was the promise? God says, I will judge them so that they will come back to me. The tribulation, folks, among other things, is to judge Israel. It's going to put Israel through the hardest days it's ever known. They call it the time of Jacob's trouble. And because of that, the Lord will bring them back. That's an amazing prophecy. Don't give up on them now. Alright? We're supposed to be praying for them. We're supposed to be. Because God still has a plan for these people. And it's going to take a miracle to bring it about. But you know what? God's good at miracles. So I don't have any doubt that it's going to happen. But that's what the tribulation is for. That's not the church. That's Israel. The distinction is important. Look at these. Zechariah 13 now. It will come about in all the land, declares the Lord. Two parts of it will be cut off and perish. One third will be left in it. That's a pretty incredible number. Two thirds of the Jews will die in the midst of this conflict. One third will be left. And I will bring that one third through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined. I will test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name. I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. They will say, the Lord is my God. That's coming. That is powerful, isn't it? That's powerful. That's where the Lord's going to bring them. So, give me back to that picture. There's chapter 12 for you. You say, what is this all about? Dragons and pregnant women and things like that. This is their picture of what God is doing with Israel. And the whole thing is right up there in chapter 12. It stretches the whole span of it. It tells you God's working with Israel and Satan's attempt to destroy her. Okay? That's why it's so important to walk through the process to say, what is happening here? God has a plan. Satan wants to change it. Make sense? This is pretty incredible stuff. So that's why I said, you know what? I can't possibly put that all in a sermon and then explain the chapter 2. It's just too much stuff. But that's what we're looking at here. What does that have to do with us? If it's not about us, it's about Israel. What's that got to do with the church? And really, what does that have to do with me? Let's get real personal for a minute. What does that have to do with us? What does that have to do with the church? What does that have to do with me? What did Jesus say? He also said this. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. He's not talking about the tribulation. He's talking to his disciples at the moment and they're about to embark on an adventure they've never imagined in their life. They're going to be his apostles to a world that hates the message of Christ. They are going to be abused They're going to be persecuted. They're going to be countered by false teaching. They're going to lose their lives, become martyrs. He says, well, you're going to face tribulation, disciples. Not the tribulation of the tribulation, but a tribulation that comes from being a believer in Jesus Christ and living in a world that hates him. We have something in common with them, don't we? 
Does the world like the Christian teaching? No, it does not. And when they start to realize that it's the Christians that are their biggest trouble, they're going to do what they can about that, too. I'm not trying to depress you. I'm just saying this is reality. In this world, we may have tribulation, too. But, take courage. Why? Jesus has overcome the world. There's our hope, folks. It's not in us. And it's not that this world gets better. We could trust in a lot of things right now, from governments, we could trust in dollars, we can trust in programs, we could trust in this and that, but only Jesus overcame the world. That's where our trust ought to be. As believers in Him, we ought to remember, He is sovereign and He loves us. Right? Yes. Take courage. I've overcome the world. That's His promise. I like these words. John 3, 1 John 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God? Do you realize the privilege of that? And such we are? Then I move that over just to show you. For this reason the world does not know us. Because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet appeared what we will be. We know that when He appears, is that our hope? Yes. When He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. That's our hope. You won't find it in your news. You find it in His Word. That's our hope. That's our hope. That's what we hang on to. We know that when He appears, we wait for it. So this is a revelation of Jesus Christ and his love for the church. Yes. This book was not written to the Jews either. It was written to the church to tell us God has a plan for the Jews. And he's going to work it through. And he's going to judge them and bring them back to the world. This book was not written to the world. He's going to judge the world of sin. This book is to show the sovereignty of Jesus Christ and to show the church that Jesus Christ always keeps his promise. And he will. And you can count on that today. He is coming. He is coming. I look forward to it. And it's not because I just want to get out of this world. We get accused of that. Oh, you just don't want to go through the tribulation. Right? <laughs> that's, no, that's not a hard thing for me to confess. I want to show you something. Just as I'm about to close. Ready? That means don't close your mind. I shouldn't say that, right? Second Peter 3. This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you. He's writing to the church. In which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this first of all. In the last day, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. And what are they mocking? Where is the promise of His coming? Where is the promise? For since the fathers fell asleep, I put it in a whiny voice every time I say it this way, because that's what it is. And since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. And when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, 
The earth was formed out of water and by water, and through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. There was a flood. And it did destroy the world. But by His Word, the present heavens, the ones you're living in, the present earth and heavens, are reserved for fire. Did you know that? Kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. He's going to judge them. Do not let this fact escape your notice, beloved, the church. Though with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years. A thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. That's the tribulation and the judgment. It will come like a thief, which the heavens will pass away with a roar. The elements will be destroyed with intense heat. The earth and its works will be burned up. And since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed with burning, the elements will melt with intense heat. Is it because we like a big bonfire? No. It's because we have something, according to His promise, we are looking for. How, how much do you desire to see the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells? That's where our hearts should be set. I can't wait. Those days are coming. And they are a promise of our Savior. And the world is mocking that promise right now. They're mocking it right now. That's why I, I say, hold to it fast. Jesus Christ is walking them through a tribulation in our study here. And the reason is so that we know He keeps His promise. He keeps it all the time. That's a lot. A lot of information, I know. I needed to walk you through that. I hope you're okay with all that, because there's a quiz next week. (laughs) But there, there is very important things to lay down to understand. Why are we going through such a strange chapter like this? And we're going to walk through it next week, and now you're going to have the foundation and be able to say, okay, this is pretty exciting. Jesus is keeping his promise. I like that. I hope you do too. Heavenly Father, we are so blessed to be called your children. What a remarkable thing you have done for us. That you should take us who were dead in our trespasses and sins. We who walked according to the course of this world. We participated in all those things that are under your wrath. And yet because of your great love and mercy... You poured out upon us. You changed us forever because of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We stop and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you have done to make us your children. And now as your children, we are blessed to be in this relationship. And we are blessed to have your word and the guide in it to help us remember where we are. To keep our bearings in a world that just seems crazy at times. To know that our Savior, Jesus Christ, loves us. And He loves us still. He loves us today and He will love us tomorrow. And that He keeps His promises. 
And every single promise he's ever uttered will come true, just as he said. And that this world is in trouble. It's heading toward that judgment, and it needs to. It must, because it vindicates our Savior, and it shows his holiness. And Israel is going to be changed. We can't always understand that fully, because we see them as they are today. But Lord, you have great plans. And the day we see that fulfilled, we will utter the greatest hallelujah. Because we see what you have done. Lord, how great you are. How great you are. And how good it is to have this book. It says that those who read it are blessed. And I think we've been blessed. Just in our overview today. To understand our Savior is sovereign. And what a great Savior to have. Thank you for having us. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.